You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you, Tristan. I love um, Christmas music. It's more than Christmas music. It's a hymn uh, that prepares our hearts for the coming of Christ in his first advent and in his second advent. And if you can, look, if you can decorate for Halloween early September, then I think it's okay to decorate for Christmas early November. Wouldn't you agree with that? Just giving you the heads up. If you're wondering when to start listening to Christmas music, Ricky does it all year long. But my, my rule of thumb is, Wait until the state fair pulls out of town in mid-October, and that's the day. Not the last day of the fair, the next day when they're pulling out of town. Well, just a couple of things I wanted to mention to you. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the uh, teaching elder here at Grace. A um, couple of things. Grace Connection, two opportunities in the next few months. Grace Connection is a time where you can learn about our church. Uh, you can determine whether or not you think this is the place for you to be, or you, it helps in the process anyway. Um, we talk about our church structure, our leadership, our doctrine. What do we believe, and how do we function? What are the opportunities for service? So at the very end of this month, September 30th and October 1, September 30th from 9 to 12 a.m., from <clears throat> 9 uh, a.m. to 12 noon, we're going to be meeting here at the church, and then the next morning from 9.30 to 10.30, so sort of overlaps both services, we'll have our last session where we talk about opportunities to serve, especially in that session. We'd love for you to come that time. If that doesn't work, we have another one scheduled in October 21 to 22. Actually, the September was trying to catch a few people who are wanting to serve in children's ministry, but you have to be a member to serve in children's ministry, to lead a home group, other teaching sorts of opportunities, you need to be a member. So if you're thinking about membership, also, let me, let me say this. If you're a student, maybe, thinking about going on a mission trip and you would like support from our church, you need to be a member. I know some of you need to be a member back home, but we have an associate membership um, track if you would like to do that. Then that way you can hang on to your membership back home. But you, we will consider you a full member here at Grace. So October uh, or September 30th and October 1 and then October 21 to 22. Also on October 1, if you are not quite ready for, ready for uh, Grace Connection, but you want to meet some of the staff and the elders, we have a discovery lunch on October 1. So we'll have tables set up over here. I think the menu for that day is a Dijon chicken cordon bleu with asparagus um, and in a lemon butter sauce. Uh, it's either that or pizza. But... Um, Either way, it'll be good. The fellowship will be fun. You will have time around the tables. And like Ricky said, nobody's holding a, a light on you or sticking a microphone in your face. Tell us about your whole life right now. Um, it's just an opportunity to get to meet uh, uh, our elders and staff. So if you are interested in either of those sessions, any of those sessions, go to our website, look for events, and then you can register for those events. It's very important 
that you register. I also wanted to mention um, the women's kickoff is twice this week. Once at 9.30 on Wednesday morning and then at 6.30 that evening. So Kyler did a wonderful job his first uh, time giving announcements. He missed that one. And if that's all he ever misses, man, he's, go- he's golden. I felt really close to Kyler when he missed that first session, you know. Um, well, after 25 years of preaching here at Grace, I, I'm going to try not to say that anymore. It's just, I don't know. I, I'm not big about anniversary. Well, my own anniversary I am. And thank God I was married in 2010 so that I can remember how many years I've been married. But um, 25 years sort of a big deal. And I've, I've thought about it. There are several sections of Scripture that I wish we had been able to get to in these years. I would have loved to preach a series through the Pentateuch. And who knows? Maybe it'll still happen. I would have loved to spend more time in the historical books. Um, it, 1 Samuel all the way through 2 Chronicles. Not all of it, but just highlights in those uh, those books of the Bible. I would have loved to have preached on Ecclesiastes. But if there's one New Testament book that I really wish, I just keep thinking, oh, I'd love to do that. But the Lord leads in another direction. It's 1 Thessalonians. There is so much encouragement for believers in this relatively short letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. So these two weeks, last Sunday and today, we're spending a little time in 1 Thessalonians. Last week in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, the topic was the rapture. Now, if you were not here last Sunday, I gave out some notes, uh, and those notes are going to be available on the offering table that's right just past the, the doors on the left. As you go out, you'll find those um, uh, those sheets. And I'm not sure they'll make a whole lot of sense without... Well, they will make sense, but you'll know a lot more if you'll go to the website. If, if you're an auditory learner, we've got uh, the, the audio. You can read if you want to. There's a, a document with the transcript, not the manuscript. I mean, the, the manuscript, not the transcript, but the manuscript is on there. So you, you're welcome uh, to do that if you'd like to. You can also pick up a book today. Everyone is welcome to pick up one of these two journals for our Daniel study. They're going to be at the next steps table. So out, um, you go out of the sanctuary and keep turning right until you can't turn right anymore unless you're starting to come back in. So uh, these journals will be on the table out there. They're no cost to you. Um, One that's fairly plain one that's a little more decorative, either one, as long as they last, you can get those because we're going to be starting our study next week in Daniel. The title is going to be Yahweh is Faithful to His People, Then, Now, and Forever. Thanks to David Calvert for the suggestion of this title. We were talking about it one day, and he said, what about this? And I'm like, I love it. I love that title. And then Scott Shambly, as he often does, as he has done with this slide series, um, is designing the, the slides for, for this session on Daniel. If you ever see a really plain um, slide, that means that Scott wasn't, a, I, I let him know too late. 
I let him know Saturday night instead of Friday night, so uh, he wasn't able to get to it, and that was mine. Well, today's message is titled, The Time in Between. We talked about the rapture and the second coming of Christ, but how do we live until that time? Jesus died on the cross, and here we are in this great in-between. So the message today, 1 Thessalonians 5, all 28 verses. The title will make sense just a little way in. Chapter 5 is almost all application, and the way to address the text that makes the most sense to me is just to go through it verse by verse and see what pops up <laughs> as we go. Now, I mean, I prepared, <laughs> I prepared uh, quite a bit this week for this message, but in looking at the scripture, how is the Lord going to be speaking to us as we go through 1 Thessalonians 5? We're going to start in the first six verses. And it's our custom to stand as the word is being read. So if you would please stand together for the reading of Scripture. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security then sudden destruction will come upon them as, a labor pain, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in the darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. And be sober. Oh, that's it, isn't it? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. <laughs> I'm used to reading the whole text, so I stopped it there. Sorry. The time in between. It's already not yet life can be exhilarating at times, and it can be extremely confusing at times. So how should we live in the already not yet kingdom of God? Jesus has saved us from the penalty of sin, but one day we will be saved from the very presence of sin. Praise God. The kingdom of God has already broken into the world with Jesus' first advent, but it will come in full at Jesus' second advent. Already, not yet. That's the life of one who follows Jesus. Last week in 1 Thessalonians 4, we saw the skillful way that the Apostle Paul alleviated his friend's concerns about those who had already died. They were thinking, is it possible that the second coming, will Jesus will come again, and then those who have died will miss out on the blessings? No, the apostle Paul said, they will not only be raised, but they will go before those who are alive. They'll be taken up to meet Jesus in the air before we who are alive. Just like Jesus rose from the dead after he had died and been buried, he rose, the dead will rise again. What difference should the anticipation of Jesus' return Build 
in us? What difference should it make? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5 is the answer. The portion of the text that we have already read reminds us that Jesus' return will be sudden, but it does not mean that it should catch believers unawares. When I lived in the mountains, not only did people leave their doors unlocked at night, but they left their keys in the car with the car unlocked. Now, I've not found since returning back home to this area that people are quite so trusting. But look, no matter where you live, it's a shock when somebody steals from you, especially if they come in the night and steal from you. Analogies can only be stretched so far, but the point Paul was making was that Jesus' return will be a shock to many people. It will also be unavoidable. When the labor pains begin, it's too late to stop the process. I mean, that baby's going to come one way or the other. It's too late. When Jesus returns, he will do so on the day that is known as the day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord? In one sense, Jesus' death on the cross was a foretaste of the final day of judgment. John 12, 31 through 32 says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now, this was Jesus speaking just before he, he, he went to the cross. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. At the cross, sin was judged. And at the day of the Lord, people are going to fall one way or the other to eternal judgment or eternal life. And so when people say, why is justice not being done? <clears throat> justice has already been done. We just don't see the fruits of that justice yet. But we will on the day <clears throat> of the Lord. Now, when you see the day of the Lord in both the Old Testament and New Testament, it's almost always referring to <clears throat> the day of judgment when Christ returns and separates the righteous from the wicked. We are going to go into much more detail about the day of the Lord at the home group. And I'm wearing this tag because I'm a home group leader. And I want every time you see this to think, oh, yeah, I need to talk to somebody about being in a home group <clears throat> tonight. But in Joel... Um, called in Joel chapter 2, he calls it the great and awesome day or the great and terrible day. As some of your translations say. Now, you don't think about Jesus' return like that for the most part, do you? You think about, oh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I can't wait to see Jesus. But the day of the Lord in Scripture is called the great and terrible day. Day. God's wrath is going to be poured out on those who have rejected him. But those who believe in Jesus, because God's wrath was poured out on him, the Lord will then pour out favor on us. That day will be a shock for unbelievers, and it will be too late for those who don't know Jesus to change their minds. <clears throat> believers should not be surprised by Jesus' return, though. 
Since we are children of the light, we should expect that he will keep his promise to return for us and to rule as the rightful king. The theme of believers walking in light and unbelievers walking in darkness is all through scripture. It's consistent everywhere. When you think, I just don't understand how people get by without the Lord. How do they handle difficulties without the Lord? You forget that you used to walk in darkness, and they still do. You walk in light, and it's easy when you walk in light to forget what it was like when you were in darkness. And yet, sometimes we're tempted to live as children who walk in in darkness. I haven't gotten over it yet. Um, I think the thing that surprised me the most when we were going through 1 Corinthians was how many times Paul said, you are the children of God. And they were a mess. Many of them were walking in darkness and he's like, what are you doing? You're a child of light. You shouldn't be living this way. Follow Jesus. Let people see your light. The Lord warns us sharply against living in a way that is walking in darkness in verses 7 through 11. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. Simply, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. But since we belong to the day, Paul says, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation, Ephesians 6, this sounds like, right? For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, as in dead, we might live with him. So not, we don't have to wait until we die or Jesus returns. We live with him now as we walk in darkness. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are already doing. Keep on encouraging one another. The Lord has not destined us for wrath. This is gospel truth because wrath was poured out on Jesus. Although we deserve wrath, we receive salvation. We see it all over Scripture. Just think about Abraham going into Egypt and telling his wife, honey, you're pretty good looking, and the Pharaoh's going to want to take you into his harem, so do me this favor and say that you're my sister. And she's like, okay. Now, Was that a cool thing to do? Was that a good thing to do? It was a terrible thing to do. And so the Lord punished Abraham by having Pharaoh kicking him out after giving him tons of blessings. All kinds of sheep and cattle and it just increased his wealth dramatically. That's what our salvation is like. We don't deserve to be saved. But God poured out his wrath on Jesus so that all who will repent of their sins and believe in Jesus 
will live with him. Can you see how silly it is to think, you know, I just have to be better. If I hope to get to heaven, I just have to. We, it's no. We can't. It has to be the blood of Christ. It's the only thing that can speak for us. All of this has the ring of first or Romans 8, 1, doesn't it? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I, I know that some of you struggle with doubts. If your trust is in Jesus and not in yourself, then you are not destined for wrath. What a privilege to encourage and build one another up in these truths. So I don't want you to get excited thinking the sermon's just about over when I ask this. But if you would, please close your eyes for just a moment. If you struggle with doubt, hear these words. You are not destined for wrath. You have obtained salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Rest in Jesus. Let it go. Amen. As Paul closes his letter to his dear friends in Thessaloniki, Thessaloniki, he delivers several general rules for living and the way we should live since Jesus could return at any time. Verses 12 to 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. You know, if you, maybe you've never thought about this, but if you'll think about it just for just a moment, I think you'll agree. Good church leadership and church unity go together. They're really almost inseparable. Uh, at the beginning of the message, I encouraged you to sign up for Grace uh, Connection class if you're considering membership or, again, if you just want to learn more about our church. But one of the things that we talk about is how our leadership is structured. We're elder-ruled church. Really, elder-led would be more appropriate, but we, it, we would be considered an elder-ruled church so that a lot of the major decisions are made by the elders and weak always bring the deacons in for just about all the big decisions that um, we make for the, for the future of our church or for the maintenance of our church or the upkeep of the, of the souls as well as the buildings. And we're going to spend time in those sessions exploring God's design for church leadership. Now, again, elder rule is new for a lot of people, but we believe that this is God's design for the church. When the elders are walking with the Lord and when the elders are unified, there is much more likelihood that our church will dwell together in unity and faithfully serve as we have been called. But the elders don't do this on their own. The entire church has to be in on this. I hope you're praying for the elders. I hope you talk with the elders about maybe... Um, 
just how the Lord is blessing you and your family, but also concerns that you have. It's all of us together. When you're praying for our elders and staff, you're contributing to church unity. And that's crucial for our efforts, efforts in establishing believers and engaging the world with the gospel. And truly, we can exalt the Lord together with one heart if we're divided all over the place. You know what it's like to be in a family, right? And you see two members that are really upset. And it just breaks your heart. And it's almost nothing that you can do about it. You want it. And both are equally upset with each other. It, 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 it just taints everything that you do as a family almost. Or it feels like... Let me, say, let me retract that and just say that another way. It, it, it's uncomfortable when two people are at odds with one another in the family. There are a lot of things that happen that you have no control over. It's one of those beautiful reminders from the Lord. As, as, much, as, as much as is possible within you, be at peace with all men. You can't be at peace with everybody, and it's not your fault a lot of times. But do everything you can do to be at peace. And surely in the church, our church family, we need to be at peace with one another. And we all need to protect the unity. And I know that some of you do. When someone's grumbling or griping, you're like, hey, hey, look, it's okay. Just be, be calm down. It's, it's going to be okay. And I appreciate that. We all appreciate that. And by the way, we're going to be adding elders and deacons soon, Lord willing. Um, so, please be praying about this process. Really, it's one of the most important things that ever happens in our church. Who's going to be in church leadership? And there are lots of qualified people who are not in church leadership. For one reason or another, they may have said, no, now's not a good time for me. So, don't just say, oh, this is the cream of the crop. No. When I look out here, this is the cream of the crop. I love all of you. I tell people all the time, I can't believe, I can't believe how beautiful the Lord, what a beautiful thing the Lord has done for us in bringing us together. Well, from verses 14 through 22, Paul uh, gives several guidelines for the Christian life, especially life in community or life together, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said and wrote a book about. Verse 14, and we urge you, brothers... Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Idleness was a problem in Thessalonica. And even though he's encouraging, be patient with these guys, but you need to help them come along. It became such a problem that in Paul's second letter... To the Thessalonians, uh, he called for church discipline for those who refused to work because they were expecting the Lord's return at any moment. When I was camp director, I was young, really young, when I first became a director. And a couple of um, couple of weeks in, or a couple of years in, there was a staff member who said, "Oh, by the way, I've got a, a dental, dentist appointment in Chattanooga tomorrow." Now, Chattanooga is five hours minimum from uh, TVR, especially in those days. 
And I said, oh, my goodness, uh, that's good to know uh, that you have this appointment tomorrow. How are you getting there? She said, I don't know. The Lord will provide. Well, you know what that meant, don't you? That meant that I had to figure out how to get her a ride to Chattanooga. And that's what was going on here. People were saying, the Lord's coming back. He's going to provide for that, my, mean, my needs. Well, that meant Greg Bagley's going to provide for, for their needs. It meant Drew, Hanson, Drew and Val Hansen are going to provide for their needs. It, it's a burden on the rest of the, the congregation. So, see if you follow me on this. I didn't think about it till late, but it's, but it's true. I mean, it, 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 it works. I think it's part of what the Lord is saying here. We have a very effective, a very um, a large benevolence account at, at, here at Grace, and it stays that way. The deacons were saying the other night, we try to give this money away, and we, we just keep building on. And that's because of your gracious hearts giving to the benevolence fund. And what's it for? It's wonderful when we're able to help in a big way. One, two, five thousand dollars even at a pop when somebody has a special need. But you know what? We don't really do this kind of research, although I wouldn't be opposed to it. I have no idea who gives what here. Unless you're up for being an elder or a deacon, then I want to know. But you know, another time that would be good to know is when somebody requests help for benevolence. Have you been giving generally to the congregation? Are you a participant? Are you actively serving here at Grace? Now, that's not the very first thing. My heart goes out when I hear about someone with needs and I'm, I'm like, hey, let's help whatever we can do. But this life is designed for us all to contribute. So, look, if, if you're not giving... And 10% seems incredibly daunting to you. And really, the benevolence is over and above the 10%. But if that's daunting to you, just start with 5% or even 1% or 2 And then build up and see what the Lord will do. He will do great things. Idleness, let's have none of it here. Isn't it interesting that the anticipation of Jesus' return leads some to frantic activity and others to paralyzing inactivity? What's the biblical alternative? Faithful presence in a world that is opposed to God but can sense the love of God as they observe the people of God loving one another and loving them. Faithful presence. It doesn't have to be a big splash. You don't, I hope, you, I hope I don't make anyone upset. You don't have to be radical to serve God. In fact, you can, Michael Horton, be ordinary and serve God exactly as he designed you to do. I don't have these great gifts. You don't need them. You just be faithful. You love on God's people. You love on those who don't know Jesus. It'll be all right. And be patient, Paul says, with everyone uh, who is uh, everyone in this age when our hands are ever ready to blow the horn and our tongues are ever ready 
to criticize, especially in football season. Verse 15. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. First to one another, then to everyone. You would think that this would read, search your own hearts and make certain that you are not vengeful. I think we'll all admit that there's a certain, it, that it's difficult to restrain our attitudes and our words when someone has hurt or humiliated us, or even when someone ignores us. What's that about? Someone ignores us and get all huffy and puffy. You know? It's a good thing with all of these admonitions that we're not left on our own. We're not left to our own thoughts. We are called to help one another in these moments. You read 1 Thessalonians 5 and you say, okay, I need to do this, this, and this, this. No, what Paul said was, y'all need to do this, 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 and this. Together, we grow in these areas. We should consistently encourage one another to do good to everyone, not only those who do good to us. Verses 16 to 18 go together, I think you'll find. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Look, before we even get to verse 18 and what we might assume to be difficult circumstances, we're told to always rejoice and always pray. Once again, this is an entire church responsibility. The entire church is called to, to help obey the Lord uh, by help others obey the Lord by praying and rejoicing together. Like specifically in worship services, this is talking about, but all through the week. And again, home group is an excellent place for you to fulfill your obligation to help others pray and rejoice in the Lord. Look, I'm not going to go so far as to say that rejoicing is a spiritual gift. I don't think all of the gifts are listed in Scripture. And I think some people have the gift of prayer. They pray at a higher level than others. We're all called to pray, right? We're all called to rejoice. So I'm not saying that there's a gift of rejoicing, but I'm not ruling it out either. We need people who see these spiritual glass half full or more. If you're not in a home group, this is a good thing about home groups. We help each other do this significantly. Again, speak to the leaders and others who are representing the groups after the service. So verse 18 does not mean that we should give thanks for all things, including evil things, but we should have such a posture of gratitude that even in the worst of circumstances, we can thank God that he is sovereign. And that line is kind of blurry. How does it work? Again, it works much better in community than in isolation. When something unexpectedly bad happens, we're tempted to hide away. But strength comes from others leading us <clears throat> to thank God for the gospel. And he's delivered us from wrath. Also, for meeting our needs. And for encouraging us with the promise 
of Jesus' return. So what's not to be thankful for? One more time, would you please close your eyes? It's God's will for you to give thanks in all circumstances. Would you say overall that you are more closely identified as being a person who lives with gratitude or one who grumbles? This might be a difficult time for you, so surely there is an understanding. But are you typically given to gratitude or to grumbling? Right now, would you just ask the Lord to open your eyes to all the good things he's brought into your life? Would you also ask him to help you receive encouragement from others rather than rejecting it? Finally, ask the Lord to give you such gratitude that it will spill over to others. Amen. Verses 19 to 21. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, you might be tempted to associate the prophecies here, especially since it's coming after all this talk about Jesus' return. You might be thinking that that's what he's talking about with prophecies. But remember from our study in 1 Corinthians how we found that the gift of prophecy is really more about encouragement than it is foretelling and even forthtelling. It's about how we encourage one another with a word from the Lord that's from the Scripture. There are no prophets today in the same way there were in the first century before the Bible had been written. Uh, so beware of anyone who tells you exactly what's going to happen. Beware of prophets who say that they know the day or the year that Jesus is going to return. A lot of people have sold property, given all their funds away, only to find that they were like the poor saints in Jerusalem because the Lord didn't come when they thought they did. What's a generation? Is it 40 years? Is it 70 years? Too late. If you're going on 48 Israel, is it 100? I don't know. What if 2048 comes and goes? Be careful about knowing for sure when the Lord comes back. But one thing we can know, it shouldn't be a surprise for believers. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21 is continuing to affirm the importance of corporate worship and the importance of testing everything by Scripture, which will lead to godliness if the Spirit has His way. He will always lead us to hold fast to the good and avoid every form of evil. And this all sounds well and good, but it also sounds impossible. We know who we are, and as much as we would like to think we can live in the way that God has called us to live, it doesn't seem within us. Within us. And that is both wrong and right at the same time. It's not within us, 
and our own strength. But if the Holy Spirit lives on us, we're able to get into this direction of life. Here's the secret. It's not my faith that will get it done. It is God's faithfulness to me, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's another life's verse if you need one. Galatians 6, 14 is a good one. Here's another one. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So you know what your first responsibility is in this Christian life? Believe God. Believe Jesus. Just believe that he is going to cause you to live in the way that you're incapable of living on your own. Paul prayed that God would sanctify his friends through and through. And he also prayed that they would keep, that the Lord would keep their entire beings blameless at Jesus' second coming. And he prayed that not so that they would be strong enough to be raptured, but so that but because God is faithful in us and he was praying that they would understand that God is the one who will do this for us. Our job is to trust. I glorify God when I give him thanks in the midst of all things, even difficult things. And I trust him, especially when things go badly. How can I do this when everything in, in, in the culture tells me to complain and live for myself and live for today? Well, just simply, don't do that. Don't listen to the culture. Listen to God's word. <clears throat> Rejoice and pray and live for Jesus and expect his return. He is the one who will do the work if you trust him. He's faithful. Well, the last four verses sound as though they were written by a good friend who received as well as he gave, and Paul gave beautifully. Verses 25 to 28. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. At our elders meeting Wednesday night, Lee Williford shared a quote he had heard this past week in his hometown of Windsor, North Carolina. Lee was at Lee and Stacy were at um, Open Door Church in Windsor, North Carolina, and Pastor Steve Mazel was preaching about the different beliefs that people have about Jesus' second coming. And he said, "We can all agree on three things: Jesus is coming back." We hope it's soon, and we better be ready. Well, that's a good word for us, isn't it? I think so. We can all agree on this. Jesus is coming back. We hope it's soon, and we better be ready. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you 
tempted to start with how difficult things are for us and how much we fail. But no, the point is you're the one who is faithful. You've called us to this life. You will do it. You will accomplish it in and through us because the Holy Spirit lives in us and our identity is with Jesus. We pray that you would strengthen and encourage us and turn our hearts and our eyes to the heavens where we expect Jesus who ascended to heaven The angels told the disciples he will come again in the same manner. We look for him. May it be today. Amen. Would you please stand? Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.